Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. And with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Chad, Andrew Garfield snuck into premieres of No Way Home and was excited by what he saw and also would very much like Kevin Feige to produce more movies starring him. What say you about the future of the Amazing Spider-Man universe? All weekend, I've, I've repeatedly said to myself and the other people that have asked me that wander on the Twitter and see things, no, there's not an Amazing Spider-Man 3 coming. I don't care what you see right now, that is not the truth. So I'm just saying that up front. I know everybody loves Andrew Garfield right now. To all of you people, I say, you guys suck because Andrew Garfield has always been great. I've been saying it for years, and now y'all want to jump back on this train? No, no. Get to the back of the line and don't believe anything in the stuff you're hearing for right now. Um, but I think it's I think it's great that Andrew would want to be involved with more movies. If he specifically said produced by Kevin Feige, I think that kind of says a whole lot. Uh, but I really like the love fest Andrew Garfield is getting right now from being Spider-Man again, because I thought his, his movies were, I can't say unfairly judged. I think the first one is unfairly judged. I think the second one had all of the good parts, all of them revolve around him and Emma Stone. Uh, the bad things, there are plenty of bad things, but it's not from him. And he, to, to date, he is still my favorite Spider-Man in the suit. Uh, so I like seeing everybody finally kind of realizing, hey, this guy's pretty good. But we need to pump the brakes on the Amazing Spider-Man 3. Um, if this was just a Disney decision, I don't think it will be a decision. There is no Amazing Spider-Man 3 that's going to happen. But this is a Sony decision. And I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Um, if they, I, There are things they can do with Andrew with, outside of doing Amazing Spider-Man 3 uh, that I think will be great. But I don't think they... I don't think they need to introduce another Spider-Man franchise at this point, but I would not put it past it, but we're not at that point now. So just keep praising Andrew Garfield and enjoy Andrew Garfield, but don't get tied up into what movie he's doing next with as Spider-Man. I don't think you're talking about at this point, amazing Spider-Man three. I know that's the conversation that's been had on Twitter for the hot minute. But like what he's saying is with the multiverse becoming a thing in the mainline MCU and multiple dimensions being brought in, he'd be open to playing an interpretation of his character in a Kevin Feige mo produced movie if he wanted him to. Like, I don't think he's saying like, give me another sequel. I think he's saying like, I've, I've done Eyes of Tammy Faye. I've done Tick, Tick, Boom. I've done Silence. I've done a whole bunch of, like, very artsy films. And to the point where, like, the man literally said this week, look, it was a role that would pay me money. And that a bunch of people were going to see and was going to lead to more gigs where I can make money for acting. 
Like, it's not like the dude was like, you know, if I take another swing at this, I might be able to get three more sequels out of it. Like, dude was using it as a way to to both pay for his art and hopefully make more art. Um, I, I just, I think what he was trying to say is, hey, if IE wants to call me, I'll be game. But, like, I'm not going into another scenario where I'm facing, you know, Paul Giamatti's rhino and he's just yelling at me the whole time. Like, I want it actually done this way, where it's done professionally, it's done right, and my character has a sense of justice and a sense of fairness and balance to him. That he's, you know, I've seen a lot of people who are like, well, I want to see that world weariness that I saw, that I heard about in uh, No Way Home, where he's like, you know, I lost Gwen Stacy, and then I went about, I went about doing these things, and I like I hated for a long time and I had to recover. People want to see that version of the character. And it's like, I don't need to see that version of the character. I don't need to see that version of the character any more than I need to see Bubba Fett on my television every week doing random Bubba Fett things. Like sometimes you just need the line of dialogue, man. Sometimes you just need him to say, Hey, I went through some stuff after my girlfriend passed away. And then you get to see him redeem himself for his girl for not being able to rescue his girlfriend. And that gives you some catharsis and celebration and release. And it's like, sometimes that's all you need. You don't need three more films or three more hours to tell that story. And I think that if you get another appearance from Andrew Garfield, it would be in an MCU produced movie and not so much a Sony produced movie. Well, Along with um, taking the paychecks for for this movie, we have to remember that Andrew Garfield genuinely loves Spider-Man. And in his interview, since this is all come out. Mike Ryan did an amazing story on uh, praising Andrew Garfield and his performance as Spider-Man, not only in the amazing Spider-Man duology, but also as a, you know, going forward from that. Yeah, and like the um, what was it, Vanity Fair? Which I forget which which outlet got the oh no, it was Variety. They got the first interview with him. That love for Spider Man, you can tell it shines through in that interview. So, getting a chance to come back and do and be a part of this character that he really loves, and I think he genuinely, when he talks about it, he he talks about his love for Toby in the role and how Toby was his Spider Man. And how much he's enjoying what's going on with Tom, and uh, they they mentioned the the part in the movie where he's like, and he talks to the other two. He says, you know, I love you guys, and how he that was a uh, that was impromptu for him. That was uh, not part of the script, and they just kind of kept it in there. And that really feels genuine to him and how he feels about Spider Man. So, to, along with getting who knows how much money to come back and do it, he really loves the character and love being a part of it so seeing him again i don't because of that i think you is more than likely you would if you were going to see any of the other two again it would probably be him uh i there's always a chance with with marvel going full multiverse um i'm always cautious with multiverse stuff and i will I tend to lean into the, if you don't got to do it, don't do it. 
So you've done Multiverse of Spider-Man once, leave well enough alone, which is why I would think if he showed up, um, they've, Sony has given the MCU a pathway to have an MCU Venom. I think if he were to show up, it would be to face the already established Sony Venom, who is already immensely popular. And I think that would work too. But outside of that, I don't think, I don't think he should come. I don't think there should be anything else for him outside of that. I mean, it just depends. It depends on what Sony wants to do. It depends on what Marvel wants to do. I just think it's, it's interesting that people have found a renewed passion for that version of the character posting uh, or post uh, No Way Home, you know? Yeah, really. Especially because you you know it. I've been saying for years. You've been preaching it for years, Chad. Yeah, he he is the superior Spider-Man. There is a pun in there for the people that get it. Yes, I did it on purpose. Uh, he, it was a shame that people didn't see what I saw in him. There were a lot of people that did, but there are plenty of people that did not. They just tossed those movies out because the second one had so many terrible elements in it but now you take all those elements out and you just put and you're just looking at this guy as spider-man it's like why why did we not like him so much all right chad so let's move on so i wanted to take this opportunity to remind you that ben affleck has made comments has made comments about his time as the batman on the justice league set and they kind of sound very familiar familiar to Ray Fisher's comments about his time on the Justice League set once Josh Whedon got to work. And uh, your thoughts on not only um, not only uh, those comments by um, by him, but also the idea or the notion that uh, pictures are starting to be released now. And as we hype up a new version of the Batman and the Flashpoint movie that is coming. Okay, first thing I'm going to say is kind of kind of out of left field, but having the article up, hearing you say the words Batman as I read Affleck co-starring in George Clooney's drama, and I'm like, oh, wait, that's right. One Batman directing another Batman in this movie that got us this article in the first place. So that was my head just connecting those dots real quick. It didn't really have anything to do with anything else. Um, as far as Affleck's comments about Justice League, um, I think it first needs to be clarified that he doesn't differentiate um, his, his, his time as being part of Justice, Justice League or Justice League uh, Zach's Zach's shooting of Justice League, it just saying he just says Justice League. I don't want to harp too much on on Josh Wheaton's part because it seems like Affleck's um Affleck's beef with Justice League, Affleck's realizing that it was time for like he was not having fun with this, started just in general with just Justice League, the original shoot of it. Uh not really the Josh Whedon shoot uh so so yeah I don't want to so I won't lump him in originally I was going to lump him into the 
the Joss Whedonness of it all, but it seems like his comments are directed. He doesn't differentiate, so I think it's safe to just say his entire Justice League uh, shoot from beginning to the end of Joss's, he was not happy and he realized it during that whole process. Um, so th- that's that's that part. Um, but it is interesting to get all of this Batman talk. Like you're getting, we're getting this interview with Ben Affleck because he's talking about, um, he's talking about the tender bar and he's, and it just, the timing of it just worked out that we're getting more confirmation on Michael Keaton doing more Batman things. And we're getting more, we're two months out from the Batman coming out. So they're wrapping up what we're getting and we've seen a couple of images and things. So it's just a whole bunch of Batman talk. And here's Affleck saying, you know, uh, Justice League, I was, Justice League pretty much put me out of this. That was when I knew I wasn't having fun and I didn't want to do this anymore. And that his part in the flash is, it's really nice. And it's really nice way to tie everything up. And didn't he, didn't he say, call it the worst, the worst of this business or something. The worst part of this business or the worst kind of this business? Uh, I don't want to say, I. that sounds right, but I don't want to say for sure because I don't remember reading that exact part. Um, but I saw, I only saw, of course, I only saw bits and pieces of the interview until like right now because for some reason, LA Times let me read it all the way through right now. Um, but that sounds right. But I think, but it's not just a just. Every other headline I've read about it has tried to make it seem like it's just the Joss Whedon part, when that's not what he said. That's originally what I was running with too. It was like, oh, it's just the Joss Whedon part that makes three of the principal actors that had a had an issue shooting this movie. But no, Affleck I think started from the beginning of the Justice League process, and that fits with what we heard when they were first doing it. Well, remember, because... they put it off for three weeks. They put it off for three weeks after Dawn of Justice came out because they were supposed to start the Monday after Dawn of Justice came out. And then they yep, delayed but... for like six to eight weeks. And, yeah, they and then they brought the, the press over on the emergency press tour to try and calm everybody's nerves. And we like, and we know that, and we've speculated for a long time that Joss or that uh, Zach was dead man walking before shooting even began on that movie. And so the idea of the stress of working with one director for a shoot for four, for three months, for March, uh, for two months, from uh, May of 20, of uh, 2016 to, um, to June of 2016, because that's when Wonder Woman came out, right? June of 16 or was it June of 17? Wonder Woman came out. The only reason the I reference the only re- re- reason I reference that is because it was the same, like the day that Snyder announced that he w- or it was announced that Snyder was departing Justice League was the day me and you were heading to that screening in New Orleans. That's right. Yeah, so that was that was 2017 because they all came out the same, they came out the same year. Yeah. So he so he that Don and uh Don Justice was what 2016? Yes, March of 2016. So, so he went 
pretty much from what we can gather from the timeline now, from the from the recreations that he 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 got it somewhere between May and October with the same guy, and then some new guy came in, and then there was the studio upheaval, and there was the studio control over everything, and it was just like the worst possible variation of these machinations that you could possibly have. Like it's the exact opposite of what most people describe as their Marvel experience, you know? And well, for a guy so, who literally just wrote the last the last duel with uh with Matt Damon and who has just had this performance in the Tinder Bar and did the basketball movie not too long ago and is just kind of doing these indie role these smaller drama dramatic roles in writing getting back to writing and doing these kind of things i can see how that could just beat you down yep that's let's see i found that i can i found a part of the quote and it and he's pretty much talking about just that it was uh this is a this will be kind of a long quote but he's he's he starts off talking about where he starts to realize that, you know, doing all these things is not worth it and that he, he started to reevaluate his priorities. And he says, it, uh, it was really Justice League that was the, the nadir for me. That was a bad experience because of a confluence of things, my own life, my divorce, being way too much, the competing agendas, and then director Zack Snyder's personal tragedy. And it has the, uh, the note in here that Snyder's daughter Autumn died by suicide in 2017 and the reshooting. He goes on to say, and the reshooting. It was just the worst experience. It was awful. It was everything I didn't like about this. That became the moment where I said, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not even about like Justice League was so bad because it could have been anything. He says something that we've been thinking about for a while, which is the confluence of life events between his love for Snyder and Snyder's vision for the Batman and Snyder being let go to his own personal issues with alcoholism to his own personal issues with his divorce. Like it was a confluence, as he says, a confluence of things. It wasn't just one thing that was like, you know what, this, this isn't fun for me anymore. Good for him to realize that. Um, it, it, you know, certain comic book fans, certain Batman fans might, feel some type of way about that because of how they felt about him. But he realized that he didn't enjoy what he was doing. And he earlier in that, he said, you know, if he was like 32, yeah, he'd have been all for all this, but he was in a different place in his life and everything in his life was going wrong at that exact moment. So Justice League just kind of crystallized that he should be doing, he should be doing something else. He should, uh, he shouldn't be doing these, these movies he needs to be doing things that makes him happy and you know there's 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 nothing wrong with that it just happened it's just that it happened on that movie and because of all the things that happened with that movie that uh that make it stick out even more for him j-lo will help you realize a lot of things about your life the second time around <laughs> Uh, yeah that well the first time around it was that that relationship was like that was like the marker of like his relate his his career going Geely. like sideways yeah Geely. have you seen Geely? 
I have not. I've, I have not put my. <laughs> I've seen a lot of bad movies, sir. And apparently, I'm going to see another one next month that we'll talk about later. But like, yeah, that's one I have not put myself through. So I've seen Geely, and I saw Geely like within a year of coming out. Uh, we've rented it for some reason. I've only seen it that one time. Um, there are some very. Um, for young males, there are some very uh, interesting scenes with Jennifer Lopez. But outside of that, this it is was about the like, same time as the green dress, right? At the Grammys? Yeah, I think this is after that. But yes, like she's already, she's solidified as who she is. And her stature isn't really going anywhere at this point. Affleck, this is after, no, this is before Daredevil. I think before Dare, but before Daredevil, after Good Way to Hold, Will Hunting. Yeah, but he he's like to me at that point in his life, like when I thought of Ben Affleck, I'm like, uh, I didn't really even think of Good Will Hunting. I didn't think any of those good things he did. He was just like, he was just this dude making these terrible movies, and now he's making these terrible, and now he's all booed up with Jennifer Lopez and making even worse terrible movies. His career is going the opposite of hers, but. As long as he's with her, I guess he'll he'll just hang around. And it was it was years before he like kind of shook that. And Argo like fully he fully shook it off by Argo. And the thing he does right after that takes him right back down this path. But now it seems to be that his his uh, relationship with Jennifer Lopez is bringing him back on the uptick again, which is that is just interesting to me because I remember Geely and I've seen Geely and it's all bad. It's a very it's you can spend an entire podcast talking about the career of Ben Affleck because they're they're basically they're really high points like high high creative points and there are very low creative points and that's yeah. just the, the ebbs and flows with every director but like shit just generally with that dude there's the highs are really the creative highs are really great the nayers are really bad yep yep um one last thing on Geely. Um, so as I'm thinking back of, upon it, um, if you've ever seen Tropic Thunder and the, the part where Ben Stiller's, you know, they've got him, they've uh, captured him and they're talking and he has to perform his movie where he uh, plays the, the mentally disabled guy. And before, and when they talk about it early in the movie, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character tells him, you don't go full we don't really use that word anymore well there's a character in geely and it's played by the guy that gets stuck on the roof and hangover and yeah he's kind of he's wrapped right up into that set that full you don't go full that's what he's doing the whole movie it, it's like real bad it would make sense that that's that's where we were at at that point in time in 2004 2003 yeah, yeah it was real you bad. get away with that kind of stuff now, not so much. No, no, no. Different time. So, Chad, let's talk about our good friend and filmmaker, Simon Kinberg. Let's talk about the movie that Simon P Kinberg made with some very powerful actresses that was very well shot and well produced and had lots of money behind it. And let's talk about the fact that it made $4 million off of 2000 500 screens this weekend. <laughs> For the record, X-Men 
the the X Men Dark Phoenix movie that he made made more money opening weekend than the three five five, and have a higher th- per theater average. I mean, that came from an established franchise. Granted, it was a franchise in decline, but it still had a name. So I get that. Like the three five five, um, I would I would see their commercials for it. And I liked all of the women involved, and I'd forget about it as soon as the commercial went off. And I didn't even know this was a Simon Kinberg movie until Friday. Like, I'm, oh, no, I'm you knew actually, because I told you months ago. Yeah, but... which is what I was about to say. I know you've told me, but I thought so little about that movie that I always kept forgetting. And it wasn't until Friday I was listening to another podcast, and one of them said, uh, they made a joke about Jessica Chastain not needing to work with Simon Kimberg again. I was like, oh, he did he did, did, did do this movie. Um, and I think he's completely right. She needs to she needs to tell him to lose her number. Uh, the, Jessica, I seen, the Jessica Chastain connection. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie. I'm not going to see the movie. Did you watch the movie? I have not. I've been okay. working up until today. So yes, I have not had an opportunity to see the glory that is the 355 yet. But like the idea that a major Hollywood director and a major Hollywood studio could put out a major film produced by the star and have it do $4 million opening weekend screams to me, hey, Lionsgate, move screen. Apparently this movie was... Uh... It seems like this movie's been on the shelf. It has been. It's it. It was what you would have as a traditional January dump. Like the studio apparently did not believe in it. The marketing material was very scant for it. Like it. It seems very much like your tip prototypical January movie dump. That's well. I mean, and and the best thing that I can figure is that him and Chastain had a good working relationship on Dark Phoenix. He showed on this idea that she had. So the the woman that was in the movie, she her she herself didn't even know her character's name, didn't know much about her character, and and I think they kept changing it. And this is all done at the direction it was written and then directed by the same guy. And she went out and pitched that guy who couldn't even give her a character name to make this movie. Indeed. It seems, it seems like a very odd choice. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right, Jessica, I need you to like, you're Jessica Chastain. You've got to have a little bit more pull than, I work with Simon Kimber because nobody else is going to. Well, I mean, she worked. She worked with uh, uh, what's his name, Aaron. Uh, uh, she she worked with um, Aaron Sokert um, on uh, the the card counting game, the the card counting movie. Oh, um, with Aaron Sorkin. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, I forget. yes. I cannot remember the name of that movie, but I know which one. But like, about. yeah, the Mo- Molly's Game, and yeah, that she she was in that, and she pitched him on that, and that's how that happened. 
she's got a good eye for like materials. She just has not a great eye for like people to work with, apparently. Hmm. Let's see. I'm I'm trying to read. Oh, so it wasn't. Hmm. Well, they shot this back in 2020. Between so between late 2019, mid late 2019 to mid 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So it it wasn't on the shelf that much, but I mean it's still (sighs) um, but yeah, she she pitched it to him because she pitched it during the making of Dark Phoenix. So that makes a little more sense to me. Um, she just got it was she just got stuck with the wrong guy because Simon Kimberg, if he's not working a lot in, inside the Star Wars universe, it doesn't seem to work. The animated Star Wars universe, sir. Not even the live action Star Wars universe, which has now produced the greatest piece of merchandise in our history. It has produced a Mr. Potato Head Mandalorian with a Mr. Potato Head Baby Yoda. <laughs> it is the greatest, <laughs> cutest, most adorable thing that Lucasfilm has ever produced merchandise-wise. Yeah, nah, I'm not going to even look that up because I don't want to be tempted to buy it. I don't need my daughter to ever see it. None of that stuff. We, I'm going to take your word for it. I believe you. I completely believe you. So, Chad, let's talk Oscars 2022. Uh, Sony is pitching... Um, no way home for best picture. Something Jim had talked about on our inter- on your our interview, but your interview that you started, um, and graciously uh, did that for me. Um, your your thoughts, sir, on the idea of of Sony pitching No Way Home for best picture, and Eternals and Shang Chi uh, and Black Widow being up for awards, which kind of just is, yeah. I mean, I don't think that they're pitching them for best picture. I think that even Marvel realizes that the better play for those movies is the technical categories. I don't blame them for pitching, for, for trying to run this movie. If for no other reason, what else is good? I mean, I know there are other Highest grossing movie of the last 24 months. Yeah, that in, the, in this pandemic world, that has to count for something. Uh, I know there are other movies that are going to be like best picture contenders and whatnot but really like the theater landscape has been changed so much in a normal year most people don't hear about these pictures that are nominated for um for oscars and whatnot this year especially i mean i follow this stuff and it's still like oh i don't know any of these things um, the ones that I do know, it's so hard to even. You laughed at my car earlier tonight. Yeah, like I, I saw that on the rundown. I saw drive my car, and I saw that it won uh, a Golden Globe. Which let it be known that as we're recording this on Sunday, January 9th, the Golden Globes is actually going on right now in an other untelevised event with no stars available. The war show that officially could have been an email is going on right now. But Drive My Car won an award. Um, like I, Because of that, I will now look into that more. But most of the contenders, I think this year, most of the contenders should be the ones that are more recognizable because otherwise the, the Oscars are, are teetering on the brink of being like completely 
illegitimate because most people don't think they recognize anything that people, normal people have heard of. Well, not even that. It's just if you're an everyday person walking on the street, they have not heard of 98% of the movies that are normally nominated. This year, it will probably, if you don't do like Spider-Man or things like that, it's going to be 100% because they, they, it's it's so hard to keep up with because some things are going straight to theaters, some things are some things are just streaming only with the you know the Oscar caveat that they have to screen certain places, but most people aren't those certain places. So if there's any year that you that you should just put in what is inarguably the most popular movie of the year, it should be this year. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it has a shot in hell of winning. Even not seeing any other movie, I don't think it's shot in hell of winning Best Picture. Uh, I think you can. I think Willem Dafoe for like supporting. I haven't seen the rest of the contenders, but I think that's a not. That is not a ludicrous idea. I think he would have a a fighting chance because everybody has said, commenting on how well he was in that role, and I think that would qualify. But. Sony and Marvel, they should be pushing for this movie to get in because this is the best time for that this type of movie to get in. And the arty farty types, they want to uh, guard over what is considered art and cinema. If they want to have a fit, let them have a fit. Because if they don't do something like this, the way the Golden Globes is tonight, the Oscars is heading straight down that path sooner rather than later i agree 100 percent. got it you've got to make people in wichita kansas have a reason to care about the academy awards just because we talked about affleck like tender bar comes to mind i don't really know if it's a contender i haven't seen it yet but most people don't know what that is most people don't know that that's come out it's on amazon and people don't know I don't, is it, see, I don't even know if it's on Amazon yet. I know it's coming. I think it was supposed to come sometime this month, but I don't know when it comes on Amazon. I know it was released in December because it had to be for uh, Oscar consideration, but I don't think it's on Amazon for like another week or two. Uh, I, I was pretty sure it's not coming until January, but again, I follow this stuff and I had no idea. Uh, tick, tick, boom with Andrew Garfield is another one. I had no clue that was a Netflix movie. I did not know it was on Netflix until yesterday because I added it to my queue. But, and then, and then comes the problem of because most of these movies are streaming, uh, I know we've derided the Oscars for they're strictly, you, you have to have a theatrical release to, to be an Oscar contender. But again, with the with the way the movie's calendar has flowed this year, like something like Tick, Tick, Boom, I knew that it made it out to theaters. But a lot of people that are going to hear about it now because of Andrew Garfield being a Spider-Man, they're going to know that it's on Netflix. And to them, they might have that disconnect where, oh, this is just a streaming movie. It's not like an Oscar movie. So that brings another disconnect because they've been so hard focused on not not representing the streaming movies that people don't even think this is kind of an Oscar movie. So in their mind, it's 
because the streaming is not to that it could not be to that caliber and that's another hurdle you're you're fighting with so yeah they this is the year for for the oscars to be like well f it we got to put the big movie in just put it in and 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 let it go give me a second let me see because i'm interested now what the because the date's normally in february February the 8th. February the 8th? February 8th is the nominations, yes. So we got a month. Uh, so a month, okay, a month for nominations. So the show must be in what, March? Yes, yeah, the first week of March. They have a month to decide if they're going to do what is best for them as an entity. So according to Awards Watch, let's see. Which I did not realize how in depth this is. Like they have it broken down by state, uh, critical. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar nomination voting ends at 5 p.m. Pacific time on February 1st. Oscar nominations are, are, are announced February the 8th. So the voting ends on the 1st, the nominations are February 8th. So, I mean, that gives them time to figure out what they want to do and where they want to go and all the things. But, I mean, like, I just don't necessarily know if they want to go down that route with films like Drive My Car and Power of Dog and, um, you know, all of the other, you know, what you would quote, call quote-unquote Oscar movies that have been put out in the Let Tick Tick Boom um, Power of Love, different different movies that have been put out over the last twelve months that they would more be more likely to consider than you know giving Spider putting Spider Man on the platform so that they could sell tickets or advertising space or get, or get ratings. There's okay, so as of now, what are like the uh, legit? best picture contenders we have well depends on as jim said it depends on what they value so if you if they don't care about the box office which it has been very clear for years that they don't if they don't care about box office they just care about quality and craftsmanship of film then you're talking about west side story you're talking about uh, nightmare alley you're talking about uh power of dog you're talking about drive my car you're talking about um, uh, Spencer. You're talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, Boom. Um, that's that would probably be something. Uh, House of Gucci. Um, that would be something probably approximating your best picture list, somewhere around there. So that's that's what you're looking at. Okay. So of those. The only thing that's going to move the needle, like general audience wise, is West Side Story. And, and uh, House of Gucci just crossed 50 million. West Side Story hasn't even cracked 20 million. See, but that's true. So it's just the, it's really the name of West Side Story that's, that's uh, carrying my thought process there. Not about who's actually seen it, but people know the name West Side Story. And if you can, well, they it's didn't already do it been nominated them. eleven times. Yeah, 
it, it's the kind of thing that Oscars would like, no matter how much money it made. It's, it's kind of like a Star is Born. Star is Born's been remade multiple times and been nominated for Oscars almost every time. Every time, yeah. And and since it has that public that public knowledge, people know what it is. That seems like the 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 big one. But the rest of those movies, maybe Tick, Tick, Boom to a lesser extent, again, because once people realize it's Andrew Garfield and Lin-Manuel Miranda, okay, I can kind of feel that. But the rest of those movies, most people have never heard of at all. So there's... There's a distinct possibility Olivia, Olivia Coleman could win her second Oscar in three years. And again, I follow this stuff. I didn't know what Olivia Coleman looked like before the first time she won it. I, and I have to actually actively think about it now. That's not a knock against her, but most people don't know who she is. Like for the, the acting nominations, it, does, it shouldn't be, and it doesn't have to be like a popularity contest, but it had. But you know Gaga is going to get nominated. Like that's too oh, yeah. over. That's too over the top of a, a performance for them to miss. And it's in a high profile movie that at least some people saw. And she's a household name that they're going to want on our te- their telecast. So there's yes. no way she's not getting nominated. Now whether she wins or not, like having seen Spencer, like and knowing that story, knowing the Diana story as well as I do, and as well as most international audiences do like i can very easily see how that's an oscar worthy performance but i can also see how easily kate blanchett turns in an amazing immaculate performance in nightmare alley and they end up rewarding that instead or they end up giving making up for the miss that lady gaga had on a star is born and giving it back to her for for uh, house of gucci instead of the better performance from uh Kristen Stewart for Spencer so it's yeah but again 12 people in this city of Baton Rouge probably seen Spencer just to illustrate the fact um for the Golden Globes Spencer did not win the best um um, Stewart did not win the best actress nomination award for the Golden Globes tonight for Spencer it was actually um Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball and uh which which again does not surprise me because there's like a one percent chance that the person who wins the globe ends up winning best actress or actor like the globes are the globes have always been like a outlier in the awards predictor category you're always looking at what the baftas do so what the british and europeans are looking at and then what the Americans are looking after the guilds, the Directors Guild, the Producers Guild, the Writers Guild, um, Screen Actors Guild. Like those, those guilds tell you what the voting public is thinking because those guilds make up um, each one of the branches. And so that's where the bulk of what you're understanding of what the race looks like comes from. The Globes have always been an excuse for celebrities to get drunk and get on live television and maybe swear. Like that was the whole like draw of that thing. And then Hollywood realized that the people who ran it were a bunch of douchebags. <laughs> and then they were like, we don't want to support you. And then NBC was like, well, if you don't have the stars, you don't have the alcohol, 
um, we're not going to carry you either. Like, it's not like NBC made a huge moral stand like, hey, we're going to make more money off of showing Raiders versus Chargers than we are going to off of showing the, uh, the, the Golden Globes. Like, it was just that there were no stars and there were no alcohol anymore, so there was no real reason to show the show. <sighs> yeah, well, oh, that reminds me of a point I was going to make a little bit earlier when, when you brought up uh, um, Lady Gaga for the Oscars. Um, so she is a name. People recognize that. And people are going to say that she deserves the nomination, whether she wins it or not. Um, but she is she fits what the Academy needs. They need somebody that people know that people will be interested in seeing. I know people are going to like yell at me for making this comparison, but um, that's how they should view the Spider-Man nomination. You you have you have ten slots. You can't tell me that up to ten. You have up you have to up to you have up to ten. You can't tell me you can't figure you. There's no world in which you can't visualize. Speaking as the Academy, there's no world that you can't visualize Spider-Man being one of the 10 best movies of this year when, when we've talked about the field of movies you have. If you got to go to 10 just to put it in there, go to 10. I think it, it has done enough to deserve consideration at least in, in this year. I'm not saying every year, but in this year, it has done enough to deserve consideration. If it wins, it wins. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We don't expect it to win, but it you can. there's nothing about that movie that is against getting a nomination. It's made by Marvel. Therefore, it is not serious entertainment. Mark and Martin Scorsese will resign from the Academy and the board of directors if they allow that to happen. Well, Martin, if you want to get your Oscar via email, keep on, keep on with this because that's where you're going. All right, so let's talk about uh, a very magical and very important person to the history of cinema and someone who um, I'm sure has inspired you uh, as a film artist and a, and a film lover. Um, there, will, there are very few moments in the history of the Academy Awards that we were just talking about that will move me as much as the night that Sidney Portier received his honorary Oscar. Um, slash Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, uh, Halle Berry received her Best Actress Oscar for Monsters Ball. And, um, and, and um, we, we got the, the lead for Denzel got the Oscar for uh, Training Day all on the same night. And the speeches and the recognition uh, by Portier of of uh, uh, of her in that uh, in her in his speech, um, the fact that she recognized him in his speech, like it, it was just a very magical night that I'll always be thankful that we had that that those three together for that one magical night of Oscar ceremonies. So I'm glad that that happened. I'm thankful for his performances over the course of his career. I really wish he would have gone into directing, but um, yeah, let's talk about talk about the importance the importance of Sidney Poitier 
to film and to your life. And then also uh, Betty White and now, sadly, Bob Saget. Yeah, the the Saget news broke like an hour before we started. And that's, um, that one's, that one's sadder for the fact that, you know, Betty was 99, Sydney Poitier was 94, I believe. They lived a life. Bahamas. Yeah, they they lived a life, and you know it's sad to lose anybody, but you know it. We don't live forever, so they lived a life. But Bob Saget was sixty five, and on tour. On yes, on tour he died while on tour in Florida, and that's uh, and every story I've ever heard about Bob Saget, um, they it's all they've all been. He's incredibly generous. He's in, incredibly caring and giving and a trying to help people. On uh, I did not follow him on Twitter. That's a, that's a shame on my part, but nothing but nice things about the man. So that is, that was upsetting to hear because, you know, he's one of those people that I grew up with on TV. So, you know, I'd seen him for 10 years of my life. So that, and to be 65, that's in, in the grand scheme of things, that's young. So that, that hit a little, a little different. As for Sidney Poitier, it's, um, like it was like I said, he lived a life. But anytime I would see his name trending, much like Betty White, I would actually go just to see, just to check to make sure that it wasn't the day that it happened. And unfortunately, for both of the last two times, that's what it was. But uh, Sidney Poitier, it's I I can't say I've seen all of his movies. I I haven't, and I I. That's a, a blind With that problem. long of an acting career, it's almost impossible to see. All but even, like even like the the hallmark ones, I've I've missed some of those. Like I've always wanted to see in the heat of the night. Once I figured out that it wasn't just a TV show, it came from a City Portier movie. I just, sadly, I just, we're both old enough to remember that in the heat of the night was a TV show. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but I haven't seen that one. But uh, try try referencing Evening Shade to some of your coworkers. And they look at you very weirdly. Oh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but I have seen like, actually, I've never seen uh, the movie. He, I've never seen it all the way through. I've never seen Lily of the Fields, uh, the one he won the Oscar for. Uh, the one I have seen the most, and it's, I mean, I'm going to say it's my favorite one, but it's a lot of people's favorite one. It's uh, his, the the theatrical version of a Raisin in the Sun, the uh, Lorraine Hansberry play turned into a movie. Uh, I saw that in high school and I've seen it a lot of times since. It's one of my favorite movies and he is just phenomenal in that. He's a, he's just a, he was a, the movies I have seen him in, he was just a, a powerful presence on screen and he, like he was, he was, you understood why he was so good being the person that he was on, on the screen. Um, what I didn't know, and I've seen some of these movies, but not all of them, I didn't know until much later and came to appreciate much later is uh, his work behind the, the camera when he was a director. Uh, he directed movies with the, with, uh, I would recommend people to go back and see them, but Considering his co-star, they probably won't. Uh, with uh, Bill Cosby, it was Uptown Saturday Night and Let's Do It Again. 
Uh, I've seen one of those, but I was much too young and I need to watch it again. But uh, he also did, which I didn't find out until today, he did uh, Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. And if you haven't seen that for like my parents' generation, they talk about that movie very lovingly. And they they love, like, I know my mom specifically loved the duo of Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. And she was specifically mentioned uh, Stir Crazy the most. So, uh, to transition from being a dramatic actor to doing directing and to more like a comedy, um, doing more comedies to show that kind of range. He was just a really, really talented dude. And I do want to learn more about him because the stuff I've learned uh, since he's passed is the stuff I kind of knew, like he, he, he was criticized a lot for the roles he would take because it was all, it, there were a lot of roles where he was, you know, he was the straight laced kind of black guy dealing with, dealing with white people in a, in, in a way that a lot of, some black people had a problem with. Because it wasn't, it, it wasn't always roses, but it was like a picture of, well, this is how black people and white people can do, go, knowing all the turmoil that was really going on. So there's that kind of criticism, but all in all, he was everybody. If you there's a, a, a amount of respect when you heard Sidney Poitier and the respect he had because he was the first to, uh, black black man, black person to win lead a uh, best lead Oscar. People people understood that, and they took that they they. People understood how important that was. And he understood how important it was and how important it was to try to help the next people understand it. And uh, I, the last thing I'll say is, again, looking at stuff since he's passed, uh, there's an interview of Jamie Foxx on the Howard Stern show. And he's talking about his, his Oscar campaign for Ray. And he's talking about how he's messing up that campaign because he's just... At that point, he's just being who Jamie Foxx was. That he's not taking it seriously. He's like, you know, drinking a lot, blowing people off, and all this stuff. And at that point in Jamie Foxx's life, he was, he was kind of wilding out. He was, he was, he was doing some things. So, um, Oprah saw that he was messing up, and she called him, and got him to come to this party, which turned out to be on Sidney Poitier's birthday. And Jamie met with Sidney Poitier. And Sydney basically sat him down and, and Jamie recognized the importance of what everybody was trying to do with him, sitting him down and be like, look, you got this opportunity. You're going to mess it up. And then bringing Sydney out to be like, you have, like, there's not a whole lot of us that have done it. You have this opportunity. Get your stuff together, basically. So, and, but that shows the how people felt about him and recognized what he had done. So, it was a it was a a real loss with Sydney, and um, as far as Betty White goes, again, like I said, she lived she lived a life, but she was uh, not not a bad word was said about her either. Uh, a lot of things that came out after her passing, uh, like um, just her insistence. I think they uh, one of the shows she was on they. Uh, there was a black person on it. And they, I think they wanted to 
move on from him and she wouldn't let them um that you know it just showed the kind of person she was going on and you know it it really sucks that we were like three weeks away from her 100th birthday but again 99 is nothing to sneeze at uh it's just the way you know we we can't live forever and we've lost some great ones either timely or untimely like i said that uh the fact that we were that we had that academy moment of the the three of them together on that night um with everybody referencing everybody in each other's speeches is just it's always going to be something amazing and it's always going to be something special that's there and uh you know that Sidney Portier paved the way for people like Denzel Washington that he paved the way uh for people like uh, our latest young best supporting actor actor winner um who was in Get Out and uh, and Black Panther. Um, like the fact that the, that he paved the way for them, and that he directed and that he acted and that he produced and that he did all the things and that he remained an active part of Hollywood for so long, is is an amazing thing. And and, and Betty became a national treasure in the sense that no one wanted her to really die. <laughs> No, no one was hoping that she'd go, but like that the Golden Girls are now reunited in a place where they can never be separated again is something that's very uh, fulfilling for me and happy uh, for me. And, uh, you know, the other gentleman, Peter, who, who passed away this week, uh, was a great film historian, great director, uh, great actor, and uh, really someone who, along with Tarantino, really has, uh, in Nolan, has really powered through and persevered the importance of film in the last, um, last 50 years, um, so last 40 years. So I really appreciated him and his work and ordinary people. It may have been ordinary people, but like the idea that the film about suicide and about you know, recovering from the pains of suicide and all those kind of things was deeply moving and just his acting career and his dedication to like preserving film history is all he wrote built he wrote books on Orson Welles <laughs> he wrote books on Hitchcock and and they were well received so I was disappointed to see that guy go um but you know it's it's just been an interesting week as far as that stuff kind of, that kind of stuff goes especially with Hollywood um so Chad um Disney doesn't like Pixar anymore they just want to get all those clicks and subscribe uh, subscriptions to Disney Plus that are coming from the uh, the fact that uh, Bubba Fett is tripping balls uh, on, a, on a television show. I, man, I don't know. I don't know what Pixar did to uh, to deserve this stuff. I you know the, uh, to catch everybody up to speed. Their, their new movie, Turning Red, or yes, Turning Red, uh, was supposed to come out in March. I think Disney's being overly cautious with the, the surge in Omicron, so they decided to as, move. As Lionsgate should be with Scream. Scream is a legacy sequel that got great reviews and great word of mouth coming out of their initial screening. They should move that shit tomorrow. Like, <laughs> if you saw the numbers that 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 Spider-Man Don't Way Home did, and you saw the numbers that Afterlife did, and both are nostalgia sequels, 
then you should move screen. Especially after you screen it for press, you should you should change it. I understand Disney moving, wanting to move turning red because of because of Omicron, because of the timing of it all. It's and now just Omicron be- mixed with Delta. Yeah. And um it's just the time, it's just the, the circumstances that has played Pixar since this whole thing started. Because this pan, the pandemic started right in, like a week after what Onward was released. Yeah. And then, um, so then in the midst of everything, Disney moved everything to Disney. Well, Disney moved so to Disney Plus. And then it moved, what was the one after that? Um, uh, Brian the Last Dragon in March. No, that one was Disney. That one was straight Disney. There's another pick. Oh, Luca. Well, how could I forget Luca? Luca's my favorite, my, my daughter's favorite movie. They stuck Luca with uh with Disney Plus too. So through the pandemic, um, a lot of things have gone straight to Disney Plus, but a lot of things have gotten theatrical release theatrical releases. But Pixar has been like relegated to Disney Plus. And I know they were upset. I think they understood it was so. But they were kind of upset, but they understood it was so. I I think they were really upset with Luca. Uh, because it was Luca Luca release was right on the cusp of everybody thinking, okay, we can like do this again. Because it was in June. And Disney started doing day and date in like July. So Luca was right on the cusp, but they just kept it. Uh, they kept it Disney Plus. So everything Pixar through the pandemic has been Disney Plus. And Turning Red was going to be the first one to get a theatrical release. And now, because of the timing of it, and I think because of what the calendar looks like for the rest of the, at least through the summer, it wouldn't be beneficial for them to you to release Turning Red anywhere else. Because uh, nobody, last time, much the April calendar is nuts. Um, May you're gonna have Doctor Strange. Um, I forget what's in June, but Disney pretty much has like two between two and four th- releases coming out between the end of April and uh like July, and that's not counting other people's big movies because Fantastic Beasts comes out within that, Sonic Two comes out within that, so there's just it's just it's just gonna be crowded going forward and i don't know i don't know if there is a pixar movie coming out later next year i don't think i saw one but i don't think they want to their pixar was doing two oh light years coming out too which is a pixar movie that one i'm pretty sure is going to be a theatrical release so i think it's just it's just the timing of it all with turning red, uh, it's just bad timing for it. And Pixar just can is I know they're just not happy being stuck on Disney Plus the whole time. I think they're everybody else understands having Disney Plus is a is a good thing. It's a saving grace. But Pixar hasn't gotten anything in theaters, and they want to be in theaters. I think that'll change for sure with. Um, with Lightyear, I'm just just I'm personally disappointed that Turning Red won't go to the theaters because uh, it's another one that my daughter was interested in. I know she'll like she, she'll like seeing it on Disney Plus, 
but she likes going to the theater too. And I know she was kind of excited for this one. I mean, it's it's an exciting time. It's an exciting movie. Pixar has been always produced uh, post Good Dinosaur has been producing amazing content. But the issue is like studios have to look at, you know, what you know. We had a we had that conversation chat about studios overestimating the No Way Home effect and people thinking that that was going to be the new norm. I think Omicron has changed that. And I think in, and if, if Omicron mixed with Delta becomes a thing, I think that'll change it too. And the spring, as both of you, both of us know, is always a kind of quiet time around the box office anyway. Um, that's why it's becoming more and more of an interesting thing as we get closer and closer. Um, what the Batman's going to do. They're still pro- putting out promotional materials, right? That's mm-hmm. an early March release, two weeks before uh, Turning Red was supposed to go to theaters. Are they going to stick? Are they going to stay? Uh, they've already moved twice. Um, I think this early quarter in 2022 with Omicron and all the things is going to be a question mark. And I think it's going to be an interesting move as to how studios proceed. Um, and I think theater owners are going to get worried again um, because if they have to go January, February, and March with very limited revenue, um, they might be in a bad position again. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the release calendar, the Scream remake is the biggest movie between now and the end of February. And then, you know, March and April are, are busier, uh, especially April. April's April is just nuts. But yeah. I mean, you got to get there, man. <laughs> you know, you got to get there. And if you can't get there, you're done. You know, so uh, I I understand the concern on both sides, but I just think that it's not a Pixar problem. It's a content problem. And it's a content problem when you own so much stuff. Before it was, I think before Pixar would say it's a You think they do Pixar the same problem. thing with Lightyear? Like if we're in the position we're in right now, no. six months from now. Do you think they do the same thing with Lightyear? No, I think like I think Lightyear will get a theatrical release. Uh, I, there's there's no way there's no way they have the recognizable figure of Buzz Lightyear. He's voiced by freaking Captain America. There's no way they're not sending that to the theater. No matter what they have to do, that one's going. I mean, I just think it's a very interesting proposition for all the all studios in all theaters to deal with the Omicron and the rise in cases and what to do about staying open or uh, putting your the- putting your, your films in the theater or not. I think it's a very interesting, interesting decision for every studio. Obviously, when Disney makes the decision, it becomes the most visible uh, salvo. But still, man, uh, I think it's important. I, I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting case-by-case basis. I mean, I think we're not there yet. Like we're not at the point where it's like full blown Spider Man No Way Home is just the you know the regular um, No Way Home now being blamed for on, for for rising and spiking cases so um, conservative media is now taking that tack so um, <laughs> it, it's it's just going to be interesting it's it's going to be interesting to see what studio individual studios decide to do. No, I kind of got rid of all my. Uh... I just got sick of all my conservative people I was following just to be in the name of keeping up with what the crazy people are thinking. 
I was kind of I was kind of expecting people to think uh, that. Uh, yeah, no way at home played a part, but it was the holidays. It was the fact that we were all traveling back and forth way more freely than we were last Christmas, and we were less, way less concerned and way more vaccinated than we were last Christmas. So yeah, I would like to see the uh, if somebody has done numbers on how how much. Omicron spread happened because of Spider-Man. I would like to see it. I just want those numbers because I know it's it's a large sample size. It's, it's the most people have gone back to the movies since COVID started. Just to see our movies that bad of a place to go during during the pandemic. Are the numbers higher because of from going to the movies? Or is it relatively low? And people can add the movies to one of those things that they can do during the pandemic as long as they take certain precautions like wearing a mask but not eating and all that kind of stuff i, I would kind of like to see that i guess i might look that up for next week to see what it says all right so chad i wanted to close the episode with a very special thing i wanted to ask you because i knew that i had tagged you in it and i had let you know that this was a thing i wanted to know what were your thoughts on the Moonfall trailer? What What did I tell you? I told you I wasn't watching it. I I could I could not bring myself to watch that thing. Like I saw, I think it has one of those trailers before the trailer, and I I think on the tweet it says the. No, I'll tell you what it was. I think it's on that tweet somewhere in there. It says, "The moon is off its orbit," and at that point, I'm just done. There's nothing there. I can't, I can't do it. I cannot do it because I know if the moon is off its orbit, that's it. It's over. It's over for everybody. It's done. So I can't, you're, you're bringing me to a, like, okay, you bring me to a world that there's an Iron Man and a purple guy with a magic glove. And you tell me that the moon is off kilter. Yeah. You, you tell me the moon is off kilter. I'm like, okay. So the heroes can do some things, get it back. You tell me we're in a world of uh, talking ducks that swim in gold coins and you move the moon. I will believe that you, you, because I believe those ducks will put it back. If you're putting me in the real world, a sort of real world, and you tell me the moon is off its orbit, then I believe that I don't finish here. You say that sentence because everything is gone. It's done. So I cannot watch that trailer. I just can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. You know... This is the kind of movie that back in the day I would have uh, I would have mandated that you go see with me <laughs> and that we podcast afterwards because it is just the kind of hypothetical science sci-fi crap that we should have been on the uh, sci-fi channel back in the day. This is a sci-fi channel movie. That's exactly what this is. But somebody gave gave old boy old Roland Emmerich a whole bunch of money to make it. A two hundred million dollar budget, Chad. They gave him as much money as a Star Wars movie. Why? Why do these people have jobs? And and your boy from from Aquaman is in it too. He's the oh, lead in it. It's Patrick, Patrick Wilson, huh? Wilson, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily blame him. Like, make all the money, man. Make all your money. Why why do studios continue to give Roland Emmerich movies money for disaster movies at this point in time? 
we're in the middle of a disaster. Why do we need like a movie <laughs> about a disaster? Um, that is a good question. I, I know the answer to them giving him money still is because he made um, Independence Day at one time. Yeah, that's it. 25 years ago. 25 years ago. That's like giving Zack Snyder money because Dawn of the Dead was really good and really profitable. But people still do that too. Well, Netflix It's not as bad. It's not as bad as that. Yeah, Netflix does that. And they give it to him for one movie. Army of the Dead, one and two. So Chad, is Wong being tortured by Baron Mordo in that photo from USA Today, or is he not? I did not see this. Let me see. I did not see this picture. Let me see. Well, somebody's torturing uh, Wong. The bill always comes due, Chad. I mean, he is the Sorcerer Supreme now, so it would make sense. Mordo's grievance will be with him instead of Strange. Be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. So that'll about do it for this week's podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. I'm at the Mets Theory. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening. And the uh, Chargers just scored a touchdown. So it is now uh, 28-29 pending the two-point conversion with no time remaining in regulation. well okay uh i guess i shouldn't say crap football tonight because that seems to be uh working out pretty all right um yeah so with i get why i definitely did it with with turning red it's just the whole the whole they're going for one by the way they're not going for two so they're going for the tie they're going for the tie, and they got it. But they didn't go for the win. They go for the tie. Are they going to overtime? Yes. 29-29, okay. end of regulation. Yes, indeed. Uh, Keep in mind that if they tie, they both go to the playoffs. <laughs> who does it – wait, who would it kick out? The Steelers. Damn. That's why we beat the Ravens today. And yeah. in big, big in Big Ben's last season is the, the quarterback of the Steelers. Man, that's wild. That that would that would suck. Anyway, um, so I understand Disney moving, wanting to move turning red because of because of Omicron, because of the timing of it all. It's and now just, Omicron mixed with Delta. Yeah. And um but people still do that too. Well, Netflix. It's does not it. as bad. It's not as bad as that. Yeah, Netflix does that. And they give it to him for one movie Army of the Dead, one and two. Seasons down to one play chat. So I'm, after you told me the Steelers news, I'm really rooting for this tie, mostly because my dad is sitting in my living room right now. He's a Steelers fan. So I kind of want to walk out of here and be like, so how about the playoffs, partner? As long as they both don't tie. Because if they both tie, they both make the playoffs. 
Oh no, no, I want them to tie so he can so so they can both make the playoffs and the Steelers can be out. I just which is by why the Tomlin thing never made sense to me. I'm like, really, LSU's gonna wait till like January 31st to hire their coach? That makes no sense. Oh yeah, I knew that wouldn't happen. They they had to hire a coach in uh yeah. Well, back in the day, you could wait for Saban and wait for the pro season to end. But like yeah, but now you got recruiting with, classes, man. Really? Because I don't think this coach cares about recruiting classes. I think he thinks he can pull everybody from the recruit from the uh transfer portal and just uh you know take care of it that way. I mean the way he the way he said it, I I get where he's coming from. It's like, you know, we're in a transition. Michigan State model. Yeah, we're in a transition year. We have the transfer portal, so we can uh we can make it work this year. Next year is gonna be the the, the show about what he really thinks about uh recruiting. Uh, you know, I'm still I'm still kind of uh not on complete board with this. You know, while we're on LSU athletics trying watching the end of this damn game. And this is where this is where the podcast breaks down to just two oh. guys hanging out and talking about stuff. Oh yeah, we're we're off the rails now, baby. Oh uh, <laughs> uh, one, I really, really, really don't like how I don't like how um how people just casually like completely fell in line behind this Brian Kelly guy. Like I remember when he was announced and everybody was like had all the bad things in the world to say about him. And then within 24 hours just like fell in line. And Ooh, like, drop that. Drop yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely drop that. <laughs> I don't know that I don't know why you're behind me when I'm normally behind everybody else. So they got they got draw Tron try him out for the tie. Yeah. You wanna know if he makes it? No, no, I'm good. Um so <laughs> so continue on as as our poor podcast listeners listen to me and you uh, talk about a football game. They, they can't see and they don't care about. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll be a fun little thing on if I cut this out and put it at the end or leave it in. But uh, yeah, they just just fell in line like it was nothing. Like like all the bad things they said about him the day before just went away. Like I understand wanting LSU to do well, and I understand you know you can be being won over in time, but the way people just were like, yeah, that's my dude now after like cussing him out the day before. I didn't really like that. It's not about, I don't think about that's my dude. It's more of if LSU does well, then my business will do well and I'll sell more advertising space and I'll make more money and yada, yada. And it's them being fed things by people in and around the program who are like, here are the reasons we thought this would be a great hire. And you should reiterate these on air so that people know why we thought this was a good hire. And those kind of things. Like, I think it's more of that and less of like, oh, well, we just think that this is such an over-the-moon hire. We thought about it for a, for a night. We slept on it. This is actually a really good hire. Like, even the picture on TigerRag.com, TigerRag magazine of, of him touching the wind bar looks really, like, photoshopped and fake. Like it's it's just not not great. He doesn't seem to have a ton of enthusiasm about the place. 
and he doesn't seem to have a ton of enthusiasm about what the place represents. And then that's not his fault. He doesn't know what it represents. He doesn't even know the history of the school or that it was a war school or its ties to Huey B. Long or, you know, the, the foundations of Tiger Stadium or any or who Pete Maravich was or any of that. But like, you know, the idea that the man can't tell Billy Cannon from Kevin Falk, I mean, like, I get it. But if he wins eight games next year, like, Ocheron could have won next eight games next year with the schedule that we have and the talent that he was going to bring back. Like, they were, no, no, no. They, but they would never give him credit for eight wins. No, but eight to nine wins was about what you were going to max out on with Ocheron. But if, but if you're paying Kelly, I, I agree with your your tweet that you reiterated from Billy Embody, which was if you're pay, if you're making ten million dollars a year, which is essentially what he's doing, you got to win and you got to win quick. Yeah, the yeah the whole reason we make fun of A and M is the fact that they're paying Jimbo so much money to for nine wins. Yeah, to top out at second once and like what third and fourth every other year. That you that's not what that's not what that money means. You can't you can't do those things. But uh again, I'm not a I am not a fan of this guy, but I do think football wise it should work. If it does not work, it is uh that's gonna be a colossal failure. And and that's when you bring in David Shaw, who's very old and very tired at that point, and you realize your mistake. Oh no, never happening with Shaw. It is never happening with Shaw. Uh, I he, think that ship is sailed. He should have. He should have been hired. And by the way, thank the good Lord, we got to hear Mark Sanchez for four hours preaching the word <laughs> of football today. Uh, I guess I didn't mind it. Uh, I have. He's very. Things. He's a more subdued version of Romo. I think that's my first. That's my first game hearing him was today. Uh, because I'm in Texas, I get some stupid. I always get the freaking Cowboys or the Texans, and they never play. They always play in different time slots, so I get to watch them suckers all day, and it sucks. So I don't think I've seen Sanchez all year. But oh, so- my uh, my my other grievance, um, the basketball thing, I. I'm cool with the basketball team and all this stuff. Uh, my grievance is with uh, the fact that apparently the basketball facility has a leak in the roof and it's something that drives Will Wade insane about and he wants people to talk about it so that the people in charge can get it fixed and uh, certain media people have jumped on that and have amplified that and I would expect that within a week or two that that will be fixed. My grievance with that is as the a fact person, that the head the head coach of the Louisiana State University basketball team, who has led it, the Tigers to its only Sweet Sixteen since two thousand and five, had to go public. Had to basically get the press to report on a leak in the roof in order to get it fixed. Well, so there is something to that because you know. Scott Woodward is supposed to be, you know, a fixer and gets the people what on his top of it, they toss need. all his coaches all the time. Yeah. Supposed to be able to get what they need. And for 
for this to to see the light of day means it's been a little while and we're always frustrated with it that means scott's not doing what we think scott should be doing or i mean i know there's a lot what we've been led to believe scott does yeah and i know there's a lot of bureaucracy with getting things done at lsu believe me i know this firsthand however i also have seen firsthand that when lsu wants to get something done it gets done I am the I am the person that was in the library the day Middleton's lib- Middleton's name came off the library. I was the only person in that building, and I was on. I listened to the board of supervisors call when I walked in that building, and that happened at like about between eight thirty and nine. And I was I went upstairs to do some stuff to work. I came back down, and by ten ten thirty, his bust was already gone. Before I walked out the door, his name was completely off that library the same day. They can do stuff when they want to get stuff done. And athletics get stuff done when they want it done all the time. So that that is a bit peculiar because Scott's supposed to be the spot. Scott's supposed to be like the gangster. He gets all this stuff done. The fact that it's it's not is a little uh it's it's very interesting to me. But that's not my my chief grievance with that, my grievance with that is that, yeah, Wade had to go to the media to get that out there, but it's going to get done because he is the basketball coach. He went to the media and people in power will now be shamed that the media has been called out. The media has called out the deficiency in, a, in the athletic department. Whereas the freaking library has been has had rain in it for years. It's rain, like it's flooded in the basement. And as of right now, it leaks on the fourth floor. If you go to the fourth floor of the library, there are- No one goes to the fourth floor of the library, Chad. That's where people go to die. And I go to read Milton. (laughs) Because all these years later, you still can't get me Milton commentaries on reserve so that I can go sit and read them or check them out and bring them home with me even though I'm no longer a student. I don't think anybody's ever asked for Milton to be put on reserve. Uh, But, you know, I can't fix the problem now. But if I could, I would. You know I would. Yeah. uh, Milton, it is the the richest library of Milton Milton documents in uh, in the state because we have a, a, or had, I don't know if we still have, but at one point we had a teacher who taught an entire class on Milton. It was basically all she did. So yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. But uh yeah, if you if you were to go to the fourth floor, there are tarps on the um there are tarps where on we the used to record podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's gotten way worse since we've been up there. Like there's several spots where there are tarps covering the books from the rain. They've they've rigged up tarps in big spotches on the on the ceiling and have a tube attached to the tarp. They've taped it all the way around. They have the tube in the center. So when the rain comes in, it goes down the tube into the into the bucket below. And that they won't fix that. They, there's nothing they're trying to do about that. But I know that the, the basketball facility is going to be fixed. It really bothers me. It really, really bothers me. Because it just, it just keeps illustrating what people really think about when they think about LSU. They care about the athletics 
and the and the actual academics has to stay there just so much so that they can keep getting athletics. And we're going for let's see, what are they doing on your end? Uh they are getting ready to go for the field goal with two seconds okay. left to try and uh to try and win the game and face the, the Cincinnati Bengals in the postseason. So Joe Burrow will kick their ass. All right. Burrow, Burrow gets the uh, gets the Raiders. If the Raiders win, he gets the Patriots if the Chargers win. Damn, I wanted the Patriots. I wanted him to beat the Patriots real quick. Get in this Mac Jones nonsense. This Mac Jones nonsense? You know, the guy who power walked like he was going to the to CPAC yes. <laughs> as a young recruit? Yes. 